Welcome to every one of you out there. We appreciate you signing in. We have a new subject matter. We'll be on it for a couple Sundays here. We're going to start in the Old Testament. If you haven't signed on, get back there to Genesis in the first chapter. That's where we're going to start reading. The topic is marriage, adultery, and divorce. And what was the customs back then? How did it all evolve? What does God say about it? What does the Bible say about it? Um, and of course, the most important marriage that will ever be at is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that comes in the book at the end of the book. So here is the foundation of it. If everyone's there, uh, we're going to get started in the first chapter of Genesis. Here we are. And we are in verse 27 on this subject. Verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything that moveth upon the earth. Okay, notice here it's a man and a woman. And notice that they are to go ahead and populate the earth here. Um, then we move on to chapter 2. And we go to verse 18. I'm going to read 18 through 24. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay, now you notice how this is one on one. All right, that's the way it was meant to be. Christ refers back to this part of Genesis when he's asked the uh, about divorce and about having multiple wives and we'll get to that when we get to the new testament it'll refer 
right back to what we just read. Okay. From there, we move to uh, chapter 24 in Ecclesiastes, I mean, in Genesis. Skipping ahead. 24. 24, if everybody's there. And I'm going to read 50 through 67. It says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, and this is about the marriage, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto the bad or good. Now, notice you had the building blocks to society there the family, and the one man and one woman, okay? Now you have an ordained marriage. And even Laban, who was, uh, he wasn't right. This Laban guy here is in the uh, occult religion. If you study the whole picture, he's not a good guy. We'll put it like that. He's, in the, he's on the wrong side of the fence. But he's telling you that this is ordained from God. Even the occultist has enough brains to know that this is coming from the Lord. Okay, so uh, can't say either good or bad. It's from the Lord. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant, this would be Elikai, Elikai, right? That's his servant. It's not named here, but that's who this is. Came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that, she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Question mark. And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. New paragraph, Mark in 61, and Rebecca arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man, and the servant took Rebecca and went his way. 
And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lahora, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. <laughs> 65, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? Question mark. And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay, so you see the uh, there is a feast involved here, and that feast in their customs is going to grow. As you're going to see here, it's going to turn into either seven days of feasting on each side of the family when it comes to marriage. Uh, that's what it's about here. We had a little bit of that feasting here. But as this, as our history grows in the history of the the world, uh, that feasting is going to be more. Um, in other words, there's a certain amount of days that are are publicly given, and there's going to be uh, a bill of of the transfer of goods, the dowries, etc. But you, uh, that's not really developed yet here in Abraham. In, in this bloodline, but it will be. And uh, so just keep that in mind. This is a feast ceremony that's done. And the two families exchange goods. The couple is given goods. They're given, they're given goods from both sides of the parents to get them started. And they have this feast ceremony. And that's basically what marriage was at this point. All right, now we go on into the law. We're going to go on to where we have the law of Moses, etc. So let's go to Leviticus next. Leviticus next. If everybody's there, and we are in chapter 20 in Leviticus. As we say here, um, you notice how Rebecca could have turned him down. Are you going to go with this guy or not? No, I'm ready to go. It was of God. That's also there. Also, you see, there's certain couples that were just meant to be together. God put them together. And that's clearly said in, um, in the law and in uh, the future in the New Testament. It's going to say the same thing. What God has brought together. But no man put asunder okay so here we are if everybody's there in 20 in leviticus uh we are going to read verse 10 and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, that's how serious adultery is. 
to the to the Lord. That doesn't mean you can't be forgiven by the Lord for it, but it's still a curse. And so uh, the fact is that uh, in today's world, where these this Calvinism which said it doesn't matter that you're covered in the blood, so you can do this immort this this terrible adultery or uh, gay marriage or any any of that is worthy of death. We'll put it like that. And you see that right here, worthy of death. Um, so there, this adultery is serious business. And anybody that's ever lived through part of that, you see that. You have a man there. If, if you have just lain with his wife, he's ready to kill you. <laughs> no amount of money is going to replace that. The kids are all up in arms. They're ready to kill somebody. Families are destroyed. And again, this is the building block to society. We build the family. The family is a unit. The unit is part of the society. So when you tear the family structure apart, you tear society apart. It's a well-known science. And it's it's written down in the in the 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto to attack morality and to tear the family to smithereenies so that Big brother can get a hold of the kids and do what they will to those kids, and they have no protector now. And so we're going back to this family unit. Now we're moving on into numbers. Folks, we're moving on into numbers. And numbers chapter 5. As we move through the Old Testament here, we have numbers chapter Five, if everybody's there, are you there, cable people? We're going to start with 11. In 11, it says, with a new paragraph mark, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, if any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner. So in other words... <laughs> This is a very strong suspicion that's got this going. This is not catching them in the act or anything like that. Okay, now listen to this about jealousy. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him. And he being jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. See, did she do it or didn't she do it? But no matter what, the husband here has this spirit of jealousy, and it's bad. <laughs> it is very painful for people. If you haven't done it and you're the wife and you're being accused, that's painful. And if you're the man and you think that she has and she hasn't, what kind of mess is that? Well, this is the answer according to the Old Testament. 50 and 15. Then shall the man being bring his wife unto the priest 
and he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. Okay, the ephah is the the monetary system for goods back in this day. It's by weight, so you could you could you could uh, measure uh, gold, you could measure silver. In this case, you're measuring meal and food. It was used to measure food. Okay, so you, you bring that tenth ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense upon it, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. Now you see here, this is, you're going right into the tabernacle here. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hand which is the jealousy offering, capital J. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And you see what I mean about adultery being a curse. And so is uh, homosexuality. So, so is all types of ungodly sex that is forbidden by God Almighty. It's a serious business here. Notice the bitter water that causeth the curse. Now listen to this in 19. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lying with thee, or lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. 20. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man hath lined with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse. An oath among thy people. When the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swear to swell. Now, did you just hear that? This is not something that's done. The punishment isn't given out by stoning or anything like that. Here, this is from Almighty God. And he's asking God, if she hasn't done this, take that spirit, that curse of jealousy away. And if she has done it, notice here she's going to, her thigh is going to rot in front of the congregation here. Uh, so here, here, 22, and this water that causeth the curse shall go into the bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, amen, amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book. And he, please mute the phone for me out there. And he shall blot them out with the bitter water. 
24, and he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take an handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterward shall cause the woman to drink the water. 27, and when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. 28, and if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. See there? God forms that baby in the belly. He causes it to happen. He causes it to grow. Here, this is a judgment. This isn't done by the elders here. This is done by God Almighty. And when she drinks this, it'll, it will either be a curse or a blessing. And here, she's being blessed because she's going to have a child in this day. And notice how they pulled the cover off of her head. Back in this day, it was, it was good to have a covering over your head as a woman. It just was. That was their custom. To pull that covering off of a woman was sinning against her. Now, that was the, the way it was here in the Old Testament. It just was. Okay, and on we go. And here's a lady, because she isn't guilty of uh, laying with another man. She's going to uh, have a baby here. So you got the thigh rotten and the belly swelling that she's guilty. And who's the judge? God's the judge. 29, this is the law of jealous, jealousies. When a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled. And when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall, exe shall execute upon her all this law, then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. Again, it's a thing. Curse and blessing are the same judgment here. All right, now from there. They've got us going to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, folks. We're going to get more of that here, and uh, it'll be the 17th chapter of Deuteronomy. 17th chapter of Deuteronomy. Everybody's there. I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, so in that case, you have Jesus Christ, the judge, over there in that law of jealousy. And that way, the uh, curse of being jealous, uh, you can have peace in your house. You can have a child and go on because you were wrong about your wife. Okay, so that's a good thing. 
that is a good thing. And uh, Christ the judge. And uh, he's going to be the judge here in the last days too, isn't he? So here we are in Deuteronomy, and we're in chapter 17, and I'm going to read 15 through 20. Now, <laughs> you see, even when uh, David started to have multiple wives or anywhere you see multiple wives in the Bible, you see trouble. And I don't care if it's the handmaid. Uh, you go to the sons of Jacob. You say, well, Bilhah was given to him. You know, the wife gave, I want seed. I want children. So he give the handmaid away. There's always trouble. Bilhah ended up having sex with one of his sons, all right? Reuben. And that's the reason Reuben, uh, he, he went up to her couch, and uh, she was willing there. So that was, that's what I mean. You, you just multiple spouses just doesn't work. And I don't care who says it does. It does not. And it doesn't work for the kings either. Now, listen to me. Here in the law in Deuteronomy, we have a prophecy about the future of the sons of Jacob here. That they're going to want a king. Even though Christ was supposed to be their king clear back then. And they slapped, oh, Samuel was so upset that they would do this, that they would ask for a king when God himself was supposed to be their king from the tabernacle here. But here we go, and this is over. Is the king going to allow him to have all the, all the wives like uh, Solomon did? And the answer is no. It's wrong. Listen to this. Fourteen. With a new paragraph, Mark. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king, capital K, over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Okay, that's a prophecy, folks. This wasn't supposed to happen. 15, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. And that happened. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. To the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. And that way is what? The Egyptian mystery school, like the origin Ptolemy school of philosophy, the mystery school of Egypt. That's what he's talking about here. Okay, and back to this king. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne, capital T, of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law, capital L, in a book. 
out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and to keep all the words of this law and the statutes to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandments, capital C, to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. You see, folks, the multiplying of wives ended up bad. It ended up bad. (laughs) Did it not end up bad? Did it not cause Israel to split from Judah? Did it not uh, take the life of a loyal soldier, a Hittite, loyal? Did not that almost cause David's death? Okay, so no collecting of wives. Now we go to Deuteronomy 24. Everybody's get there. That's really a touching thing where uh, Nathan comes in and describes uh, this person that had all the sheep and stole the sheep and killed the husband. And David jumps up and says, that man's worthy of death. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're that man. You're that man. How dare you kill a loyal soldier that wouldn't even go in the house because his soldiers, fellow soldiers were in the field. And you murdered him and took his wife. But anyway, here we are in chapter 24, and I'm going to read one through four. It says, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because she, he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. Here comes the divorce, folks. And this uncleanness isn't not washing. It has to do with adultery. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And we go on to five, we have a new paragraph here. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business but he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. 
Okay, there's multiple reasons for that. One is the uh, soldier's not as fearless as he should be. His heart's not on the war. It's going to be remembering his new bride at home, etc. So there's that law, all that in Deuteronomy. And we move on into the book of Ruth. And this is Christ's bloodline here. This is Christ's bloodline. Christ's bloodline. And this is Boaz. Everybody's there. I'm going to read 1 through 13 in chapter 4. I didn't say chapter 4. Chapter 4 in the book of Ruth. I'm going to read 1 through 13. It says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and set him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, Oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, this has to do with the right of raising seed and disinheritance and keeping it within the family. And this is their customs back here at this point. It is uh, the roots of the one shoe law, where if uh, the lady does not have seed and her husband passes away, uh, it is my duty as the brother to raise seed so she can have a family. Notice the great blessing of the family in this culture. So here we are in the gate, and he's trying to iron all this out for Ruth. And, two, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was, oh, which was our brother Elimax. Okay, and he's what? Passed on. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people, if thou wilt redeem it. Redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem besides thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Okay. So now he says, okay, you get the property, you have to have Ruth. <laughs> See, and, uh, she's uh, in this, she's a Moabitess, but she belonged to this Elimelech, and he's passed on. So this is the law that they're going through to keep all their lands that they've been given by God and to keep the seed going, which is very important here to all these people and to Naomi here. Then said Boaz, this is five. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest a field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. New paragraph in six. 
And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, so he's next in line, Boaz is. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing or to confirm all things a man gets here's the one shoe law a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor and this was a testimony in Israel and you'll notice there's different aspects to the one shoe law that you'll see in the law okay but one of them is raising the seed and if the a brother wouldn't do that for her. You were really uh, looked down on because of the importance of family and the importance of the mother having seed, having kids. All right. So there's the part of the birth of the one shoe law here. It says in eight, therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. <laughs> Nine is a new paragraph. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimix or Elimelech. Eli Melech. Eli is, is God and Melech is God king. Eli Melech. Uh, I pronounce it Elimelech. And all that was. Chilions and May Pylons and the hand of Naomi, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Mahilon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his. Brethren, and from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrath, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let the house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Okay, so that takes care of that. Now we go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. First Samuel and First Samuel, just flip a page over. First book of Samuel, I'm going to read one through seven here. This is very touching here. This is over uh, Hannah, and this is a good example of having the two wives, um, and they just don't get along. The, the one is uh, 
Baron, that's Hannah, and she's being poked fun at by the other wife. Okay, and it's really hard on her here. Okay. So here 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 we go. Everybody's there, Samuel, first Samuel chapter one, verse one. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathayim, Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zerf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penenna. And Penenna had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phineas, those are two scoundrels, by the way, folks, or holy Eli. <laughs> the priests of the Lord were there. And there's a new paragraph in four. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her, her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he, he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her and therefore she wept and did not eat. Boy, this is a touching story here. But uh, there's a special report coming. It's kind of like, uh, how's that when that phone goes off? That's called a, yeah, this is a midget alert. Because I got to get this report on the astrology here. So folks, we're going to let him, um, this midget alert has went off. Beep, beep, beep. And here he is, and we're going to go through the astrology here, and then we'll continue on here. Um, the next book we'll be in will be Second Samuel 11 and 12. And here we have this special report. This is very important, folks, about the religion that's being practiced all around us. We've told you about how they practice the astrology, and here we have a report on that. It is very important, so everybody listen up. Without any further delay, we have, back by popular demand, Mr. Midget. Well, we all know that there's an eclipse coming on April 8th, and there are many strange coincidences concerning this eclipse. I'm going to read an article from Forbes magazine. It's dated February 26, 2024, and the headline reads, 45 years ago today, a total solar eclipse struck a Stonehenge 
and it happens again in the U.S. in 42 days. In 42 days, a total solar eclipse will visit North America, throwing parts of Mexico, 15 states, and Canada into darkness for a few minutes during the day. At 1331, that's military time for 1.31 p.m. Central Daylight Time, a totality of four minutes and 25 seconds will come to Stonehenge 2, a concrete art project in Ingram in Texas Hill Country, a replica of the 5,000-year-old monument in Salisbury Plains, England. It is accompanied by two 13-foot Easter Island statues. Get the 13-foot. It won't be the first time. North America is living through a golden age of total solar eclipses, with April 8th's event taking place less than seven years after the so-called Great American Eclipse that went coast to coast from Oregon to South Carolina on August 21st, 2017. However, at a previous total solar eclipse in the U.S., another Stonehenge replica was shrouded in darkness. On February 26, 1979, during the presidency of Jimmy Carter, by the way, uh, Jimmy Carter has been in hospice care since February 20 or 17th of 2023. Now that's a little over a year. <laughs> Does anybody out there know of a person that's been in hospice for a year? It usually uh, takes less than two weeks for them to pass when they're in hospice. So what are they waiting for? A certain time and date? <laughs> Very interesting, isn't it? Well, let's get back to the eclipse. A total solar eclipse came to the Pacific Northwest and central Canada. A total solar eclipse can only be viewed from a narrow path of totality, which that day was 166 to 185 miles wide as it crossed the continent. That day, totality struck just after sunrise as seen from parts of Northern Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and North Dakota, as well as Manitoba and remote parts of Ontario and Quebec and Canada, and Greenland as well. It threw a Stonehenge replica above the Columbia River in Mary Hill, Washington, into darkness for two minutes and 14 seconds. Now, Columbia in the occult is the goddess, by the way, that's depicted by the Statue of Liberty, also Columbia Pictures, also Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. And you can see images of that goddess all over Washington, D.C., holding the torch. Now, at the Stonehenge replica, visitors dropped down to the replica to converse with the disciples of neo-pagan religions, who were led there by a vision, <laughs> wrote Don Duncan in the Seattle Times. They danced, chanted, and offered up sacrifices of fruits, deer meat, and seeds on the Stonehenge altar, according to Duncan. This eclipse was also inspiration for Annie Dillard's beautiful essay, Total Eclipse. 
Now, here's some, some more interesting facts for you. The 2017 eclipse, called the North American Eclipse, was also known as the Seven Salem Eclipse, because in path, its path of totality overshadowed seven cities named Salem as it traveled across North America. Starting in Salem, Oregon, it crossed over cities named Salem in Idaho, Wyoming, Nebraska, Missouri, Kentucky, and finally South Carolina. The April 8th, 2024 solar eclipse will pass over Nineveh, Texas, Missouri, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, New York, and Nova Scotia. All those named Nineveh. Now, after reading about the, the seven Salems in the 2017 eclipse, and the eight Ninevehs in 2024, I thought up that I would research the 2024 eclipse to see how many Salem's are gonna be in the path of totality of this eclipse coming up. The results are as follows. In Illinois, there is a Salem, and West Salem. In Indiana, there is a Salem. In Missouri, a Salem. Ohio has West Salem. Arkansas has two Salems in two different counties. Kentucky has a Salem and a New Salem. Maine has a Salem. Pennsylvania has a West Salem. And in Canada, New Brunswick has King's Salem. And finally, Ontario has Northumberland Salem. That's a total of 13 Salem's that the path of totality of this 2024 April 8th eclipse will pass over. Now the path of the 2017 eclipse and the path of the 2024 eclipse cross to form a transcontinental X. In a strange coincidence, the only spot in the path of both eclipses receiving a double dose of this modern plague of darkness and the point of the longest duration for both eclipses is a particular part of Southern Illinois known as Little Egypt. The Egyptian connection is so strong that there are several cities in the area named for ancient Egyptian places like Karnak, Cairo, and Tebs. Also, in this little Egypt region is a Salem, uh, two Salems, one in Kentucky and one in Illinois that are gonna be in the total uh, totality path of this eclipse on April 8th. Now, how's that for a lot of coincidences? Or is it? Thank you. Well, it's not a coincidence because those things can be charted uh, thousands of years ahead of time. And Babylon was known for doing that. When it comes to the witchcraft and the magic that's involved through sorcery and astrology, the, that's old art there. Uh, the uh, old uh, sorcerers were well schooled at, at predicting the eclipses and controlling the masses. Uh, they would come to the, uh, the profane and they would say, oh, I'm all powerful. 
I'm going to block out the sun on this day. But they would have it all charted out. This is old, man. This is way old. And so here, uh, somebody that was uneducated on astrology, here he would uh, do a ceremony, and sure enough, the sun would be blotted out on that day. And that was a way of controlling the masses. And guess what? This is a way of controlling the masses. This has not changed. You're, you're forming an X over the United States. That's what you're doing. X goes right back to Egypt. Those towns were put there hundreds of years ahead of time for this astrology. This is easy for them. That's how, how, and they know, let me, let me tell you, they know that the moon is not 91 million miles away. Okay, folks, look at the path that they're charting out for you. It would not add up. If the moon or the sun was 91 million miles away, it would affect the whole continent. But it's not. This is simple geometry here. The, the flashlight, get it out, shine it on your refrigerator. The closer you move it, the smaller that beam is. If you get right up to the refrigerator, it's a small beam of light. Now, that same technique, take it and apply it to the moon and the sun. You see, that's why you have a small route, and it forms that X. And those Egyptian towns were put there because of this event. Now. If you are an occultist and you believe that the heavenlies are controlling you and controlling the world and, and controlling America, what does that say to you? Notice the 13. Well, NBC reported to me that uh, when uh, they lit the fires there on, in North Texas and they were lit, lightning just happened to strike 130 places. See, there's your 13. They're tearing Texas into. That's what they're going to do. They're tearing. You know, okay, look here. United States is going to be broke up. That's the club of Rome. What we're talking about. And the worship of the sun and the moon and the stars. And the sacrifice in the grove. That Stonehenge was moved down there purposely. Down there to Kerrville, Texas. From Hunt, and that Hunt, those are the oil people, uh, the brothers there, and they're, 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 they're a bunch of scoundrels. They, they just are. They're oil men. And uh, so it was placed there. And I'm telling you that I spent quite a bit of time down there, a couple of years in Kerrville. And it's littered with these shrines everywhere. Okay. It is a big time occultic place. It just is. There was a, uh, so the fact is that this astrology to these people is empowering their event that they're going to do. And um, so they believe that, uh, what, what, does they, what do they believe about that X? What, when uh, we talk about X, it's planet X, they call it. And planet X has names. It's called Sirius, called Nebo. Nibiru. It's called Lucifer. Those are all names for planet X. 
And what is Planet X through the eyes of the sorcerer? It is Lucifer coming to Earth. Now, do we know that Lucifer's coming to Earth? Well, sure we do. On their side, on the Satanist side, they're saying he's coming to Earth, Planet X. And the Bible verifies that he's going to be cast to Earth and never go up into the heavens again. He's done up there. Just like uh, the, the pit that he's going down in in Isaiah 14. They say there's a pit there. Only in their side of the fence, in the Kabbalist side, uh, the serpents of wisdom are coming <laughs> uh, out of the pit, the gateway, the porthole to hell. Right? Okay, so I had to get all that out. Uh, there's a lot more to it. I didn't want to get bogged down. But listen, folks, it is very important that we have our eyes wide open here in all this because we are um, in this battle. Now, in this battle, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to uh, say one thing here. The, the, the Lord is going to cause the earth to fight for the saints. We're not trying to give any of you newcomers a spirit of fear. We fear only the Lord God that can cast into hell. The Bible says that the earth itself is going to fight for the saints here. Birds are going to be used. You know that an eagle can take out any drone. Animals. Peculiar animals, new breeds of animals that God has just waiting. And the angels fighting for us. We have victory. <laughs> and I want to say this right now for every one of you studiers. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be going into the tribulation like this with you. And it's a, uh, uh, we're going into the tribulation. We're chosen to go in there. God knew, knew the spirit. He formed the spirit that, that's in us. He knows that we will. And that if we get the Holy Ghost, we're going to speak boldly when it's time to speak. I'm not talking about casting pearls before the swine. I'm talking about speaking boldly as we're brought up before the potentates of the earth. This Holy Ghost will give us the words to speak. Okay, so it's a, a victory march that we're on. We, we Listen, this stuff has to come before Christ comes. The idea is to know your prophecies. Know your prophecies because you're seeing them fulfilled. And you'll get online and you'll look and you'll know these people are just full of BS. And you got your prophecies right out of the Bible. You're watching all the prophecies unfold. And that's what? You're gaining your fearlessness. You're a roaring lion because you're watching the, the prophecies and the good prophecies for the saints will be fulfilled at the same time. Now, the brainwashed preachers and those people put the fear in. Oh, no, not revelations. Oh, no. Oh, my. Oh, run from it. The four horsemen are coming. Oh, my. Be fearful. Go hide. Pull the shades down. Right? There's an eclipse. Stay inside. That's the spirit of fear that they're trying to put into people. That's what the fallen angels thrive on. They cannot penetrate the Holy Ghost fear of the Lord only. They can't penetrate it. 
Okay. That being said, the propaganda through these ministers and all the other sources is through the roof. I, in my days, have never seen the amount of propaganda that's throughout all forms. I don't care if it's the newspaper. I don't care if it's the singer singing a song. I don't care if it's down at the local uh, shrine church. The propaganda has never reached this. This is just a, a, a fantastic amount of propaganda that we're fighting. By studying here, saying, by getting in your Bible and learning the prophecies and knowing the times and the seasons, and you're gaining the Holy Ghost. And with that, you're, you're, you're going to the most important. We're studying marriage today, right? Well, the most important marriage you'll ever be at is a marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's where we're headed. That's our victory march. Um, any phone people got anything to say? Before we check out here, Midget, you had something to add. You guys get ready uh, to speak if you got something else. There's, there's going to be more to come about this eclipse, this event. This thing's being watched around the world. There are so many articles. All you got to do is Google up or search up uh, this eclipse, and there's articles from all around the world. Everybody's watching this. This is going to be a big event. And it also has to do, it coincides with the, the Ramadan, uh, the Muslim celebration of Ramadan. It starts with a new moon and it ends with a new moon right there around April 8th. So this is a big event and it's all timely. So there'll be more to come on it. Yeah, this is their religion. This is the timetable of Satan. And this is exactly what we've been talking about and uh, putting CDs out over it. And uh, we're watching a big, huge amount of it here. This astrology is important to these Satanists, and they are going to move. The dogs of war are howling here. And those dogs of war are taking us to that peace agreement. And that peace agreement will take us to the 2,300-day week of years tribulation. And that's going to take us to the New Jerusalem, folks. This is our victory march. And never lose sight of that, that we're on our way to victory here. Uh, uh, phone people, is there anybody out there now before I sign off? Hey, Tom. Yes, sir. One of the unincorporated areas in southern Indiana, just outside of Little Egypt in Illinois, uh, that they're touting online is an area known as Rapture, Indiana. I figured that would well, get a chuckle out of you. Right, right. Well, we'll get more on that next week. We'll talk more about that, uh, that rapture's uh, importance in the occult. Uh, it was started by the occultists, and uh, we're going to put a warning out about that coming up here. It's serious business. It's been a serious deception, uh, the rapture lie. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, we appreciate that. And since there's no one else out there ready to speak, from Manchester, Ohio, from the midget, Mr. Midget, that is, Mr. Michael the Midget, Harriet, Bo, Benzie, and myself. <laughs>
May the Holy Ghost go with every one of us. Bye-bye.